when you have the schools only affirming these children in these false identities, they are complicit in not only the social contagion we're seeing, but complicit in putting these children on a path to sterilization. And children fundamentally do not have the, the ability to not only to consent to this, but they don't have the ability to even process the consequences of these types of irreversible radical interventions. Hey, Joyful Warriors, Tiffany Justice here with Moms for Liberty, and today we have a fellow mom on, January Littlejohn, who is going to talk to us a little bit about what it feels like to have your parental rights totally attacked in public school, to have your child uh, put in a very vulnerable position and as a parent be taken out of the ability to be able to protect them. And so January, welcome to the Moms for Liberty podcast. You are what I would consider to be a true joyful warrior. Your child went through something um, crazy at school that you're going to tell us about, and you've chosen to fight back and to stand up for parental rights. So tell us, January, mom of three, um, ages of your kids, 12 to 16, uh, what got you involved with Moms for Liberty and, and how is your family doing today? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Tiffany, and great to see you and be with you. So at the height of the pandemic in 2020, our daughter was 13 at the time, and she came to us and told us she was confused about her sex. This was after three other friends in her friend group at school had also started suddenly identifying as transgender. And, you know, this was the height of the pandemic. The world was seemingly upside down. And so the mental health of a lot of children was suffering due to the lockdowns, due to the isolation, due to the extended time that a lot of parents, including myself, were allowing their child to be online with their friends because there wasn't other opportunities for them to socialize. And we were trying to navigate this with our child the best way we could. I'm a licensed mental health counselor by, by my training. And so there were a lot of red flags occurring because my daughter had not experienced any previous confusion over her sex. And so typically what you see in true gender dysphoria is it starts in early childhood. Historically, it was male to female. So it was mostly males that experienced this confusion in early age. And you also did not see it in friend groups, like clusters of friends were not coming out as transgender. And so I, I quickly realized something was very wrong. And we took this very seriously. We were doing our best to elicit the help of a mental health professional, which I'm sure you remember back in 2020. That was difficult. A lot of mental health professionals were not seeing clients in the office. They were inundated during this time because of the depression and the, the suicidal ideation and everything else that had gone up in our society. And we were walking our daughter through this confusion, just like we would anything else that she had brought to us as a parent. School started. So when she told us it was around May of 2020, school started that early September. And you have to remember back, we were grateful on the one hand that we were going back to brick and mortar school, but this was during the time where um, kids were having to wear masks. They were still being um, fearful of what being around other people meant. And um, there was a lot of confusion over the transmission of the virus at the time. So there was still a lot of fear in our children and especially within the schools, because now you're going back to school, but you're not seeing each other's faces. It was a very strange time for our children. and. The other thing that's important, we were not allowed on campus. So prior to COVID, I was volunteer of the year at my kids' middle school. I loved volunteering. I loved being a stay-at-home mom. That is where all of my free time was devoted. I'm a public of public school, just like my husband. And a lot of the teachers 
uh, that my children interacted with and teachers at school. Tallahassee, where we live, is a small community. So many of these people are my friends. And I saw the school as an ally. I thought that they had my children's best interest in mind. And it never occurred to me that I would not be involved in a critical decision being made with them at school. I had, I had no reason not to trust them. My daughter was diagnosed ADHD. She had a 504 plan on file. I had been present at every meeting. In fact, I knew by law that they can't even execute a 504 plan without my signature. I mean, think about how many things you need a parent's signature for in terms of medication, field trips. Even though my daughter was 13, I still had to sign off on her watching a PG-13 movie. Right. So we're navigating this. It's a confusing time. There wasn't a lot of information out yet on this issue like there is now. So I'm, I'm very thankful for how far we have come since 2020 in terms of increasing awareness and having resources for parents experiencing this. But at the time, there was literally almost nothing. Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, had just come out that summer. And so if you haven't read that and you're listening, if you haven't read that, I just want to interrupt Mm -hmm. you. If you haven't read that, you need to read that book if you want to learn more about this social contagion. Because the one thing I think is important to remember is that we're not really dealing with true gender dysphoria when we're talking about these friend groups getting together and, and deciding these things. It really, truly has become this social contagion uh, type of, of situation. And I know you make that distinction often. Um, Absolutely. So, so you know, if the, I can, the book is I'll, important. It's, it's very important. And I'll, I'll get to that after I talk about the violation, if that's okay. okay. Because I think it's important to understand yeah. there are different types of kids falling into this, you know, uh, social sure. contagion. But we, we told the school through uh, one of my daughter's teachers just like I had if anything else had been happening that would have you know, negatively impacted her education because this was escalating very quickly. So even though she hadn't felt this way for very long with no history, and this happens with these kids, things start escalating very quickly where they want a new name, they want new pronouns, they want new clothes, they want binders, they, want, they even start talking about very serious mm-hmm. medical interventions like puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and surgeries. And they don't have the capacity to even understand what they are asking for. Their brains are not fully developed. At the time, my daughter was 13, but emotionally, she was around 11. So fast forward, after I told the teacher what was happening, that we were not affirming at home, and I just knew this may come up because this was all she was kind of obsessed about at the time. And several weeks into the school went by and my daughter got into the car and said, mom, they asked me which bathroom I wanted to use at school today. I had a meeting and immediately, like I, I tensed up and I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she said, yeah. And again, she didn't even understand the seriousness of this. And I said, well, tell me exactly what happened so I can understand. And, and I said, who was there? She said, I don't know, three, three people the guidance counselor and, and the assistant principal and someone I didn't know. So I'm immediately shocked. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand how it's possible even that my child is having a meeting where they're asking her which restroom she wanted to use. At the time, I think it's important for your audience to know and parents to know transgender no longer means someone identifying as the opposite sex. Transgender is now an umbrella term that is literally a catch-all for so many different gender identities that they are selling to children with no scientific backing of these even being real. We know that children are born male or female. And with the very rare exception of the genetic abnormality of disorders of sexual development, that is innate, that is immutable. And so at the time, my daughter was identifying as non-binary. And so that is a made-up social construct of this somehow you can be in between sexes, which is not possible. And so, you know, hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty. but I, they w- it never even occurred to me. Why would they need to ask her which restroom she wanted to use? That, that never even occurred to me. 
But we, I immediately contacted the guidance counselor via email. And I said, I am very concerned that you've had a meeting with my child. I want to know what happened. Why were you asking her which restroom she wanted to use? That is a huge safety issue. And I basically demanded to know what would occurred at this meeting. Well, I was called back with the guidance counselor and the assistant principal. And they said, we cannot give you any information about what occurred at this meeting that happened with your child because um, she is now protected by a non-discrimination law. I was in shock. I did not understand. I didn't, I, I, it was hard for me to even process what they were telling me. This is my child. It is my job to protect her. And the school is telling me they can't give me information about my child. Wow. So my only recourse at the time was to go speak to the assistant superintendent, the Title IX coordinator, the one that's over all the DEI stuff in our county. And we went back and forth for many weeks. So this violation happened right at the beginning of school, just to give you a, a, an idea of the time. We finally secured a meeting with the principal the last day of the, the nine weeks. So we're talking all the way to wow. the end of October. And we were finally showed the transgender non-conforming support plan that they completed with our 13-year-old daughter behind closed doors without our notification or consent. And this wasn't just changing name and pronouns. They asked her questions that would have impacted her safety, such as which restroom she preferred to use, which sex she preferred to room with on overnight field trips. And then they asked these children in these support plans, because just so you're aware, these support plans were being utilized all over our state, and they're still utilized all over the country. They're from a company called Gender Spectrum, and they just take these support plans and they interject them into our public schools, oftentimes without even school board approval. But they asked these, these minor children, how should we refer to you when we speak to your parents? So in other words, should we use your preferred name, your false name, or should we use your birth name? And that's to effectively deceive parents that this social transition, because that is what this is, this process of these gender support plans is called social transitioning, had even occurred. So literally everybody from the bus driver to the guidance counselor, to the teachers, the students, everybody knows this child is experiencing confusion over their sex, except for their parents who know and love them the most and are ultimately responsible for them, Tiffany. Oh, it's we crazy. are responsible it's crazy, genuine. for our and children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've had Chris Elston on the podcast that actually that episode aired. And so people who are listening to you talk are, are probably hearing you know, a lot of the things that Chris is saying are happening, happen to you, but there's still this disconnect where some people are like, oh, that's not really happening in schools, right? Or you live in the free state of Florida, that wouldn't happen. As you brought up, um, these gender support plans that we found were in districts all over the state of Florida. And I served as a school board member from 2016 to 2020 in a Florida district. And I know exactly how these Equality Florida, the, these, these, these support plans got into our school through an activist organization who made friends and made connections within the district and totally circumvented the school board and went in with these documents as procedural documents that were given to schools to use for these children. Um, so it, it, it is happening. It is real. The activist organizations that have access or, or influence in your children's education um, it's real and they need to be stopped. So we need more transparency around what type of organizations are doing work in schools or providing resources to schools. Um, right. I saw the, the plan January. You showed me that it was six pages of your daughter sitting with three adults without you making all of these life altering decisions. And can you explain to the audience why social transition is such, um, a big deal, why it's such yeah. a big deal that these schools are entering children down that path. Yeah, there, there's actually a lot to that question. And, and the reason is, is because social transition 
is a psychosocial medical intervention because it's the first step toward medical intervention. So what we are finding in research is that those children that socially transition are less likely to resolve their confusion over their sex and re-identify with their biological sex. And so that is why after Florida, the Department of Health and our Surgeon General did a risk-benefit analysis of all of the current literature actually being used to justify these radical interventions on children, they came to the conclusion that it is best to not socially transition children and to not medically transition children. Because shouldn't the hope be that the child does resolve this confusion and not end up on medical treatments that will ultimately sterilize them? I think that when when euphemisms like gender-affirming care are being utilized to describe radical experimental medical interventions they are doing on children, people are horrified when they find that out. And so when you have the schools only affirming these children in these false identities, they are complicit in not only the social contagion we're seeing, but complicit in putting these children on a path to sterilization. And children fundamentally do not have the the ability to not only to consent to this, but they don't have the ability to even process the consequences of these types of irreversible radical interventions. And it's truly horrifying. So, you know, it took me time to peel away all of the layers of what I was learning And I still thought if I bring this to the school, they're going to be just as horrified as I am as a parent. Because at the end of the day, aren't we all supposed to want to protect children from harm? I mean, isn't that really, you know, they they always tie out safety and security as being their number one priority. But if that were true, Tiffany, if that were really, that were really true, then they wouldn't have cut parents out. Because parents are ultimately who is responsible for these children. And I'll I'll tell you one thing that really spoke volumes to me. I've known parents that have pulled their children out of school because this happened. And unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of shame and fear around this topic. It is not easy or comfortable to talk about. Um, Parents get, you know, gaslit for talking about this, for even saying that maybe there's a, a different path. Um, in terms of not medically transitioning. And and that's starting to change, thankfully, because people are understanding the science that truly exists behind all of this. But at the end of the day, when parents have pulled their children, those school counselors weren't calling to check on those children. They're not responsible in any way, shape, or form for that child's mental health care, that child's medical care, and now we've seen multiple examples, unfortunately, and this is what I was really afraid of, multiple examples of where s- schools have hidden the gender identity and the confusion from parents. One child in Clay County attempted suicide twice. And then the other girl out of Virginia that they just put forward a bill, Sage's Law, she was raped in the boys' bathroom. She was identifying as a male. School didn't tell the parents. She was raped in the boys' bathroom and then sex trafficked twice because that child had been groomed online. So there are real consequences to what the schools are doing, aside from what happened to my family, where it created a huge wedge between our daughter and us. It sent this horrific message to her that she needed to be protected from us, not by us, that our right. authority didn't matter, that she, it, and it actually really did something pretty horrible. It affirmed in her mind that something was wrong with her, right. that, that something was wrong with her body, that she was in fact born in the wrong body, which there is no scientific evidence to, to, base any of that on and be teaching this and pushing this in our schools. And what gets me really upset, and I am grateful for the school districts in Florida who have said, you know what, 
this was happening and we are going to put a stop to it. And, and if it continues to happen, we will take care of that because this is not in the best interest of children or their parent. Not everybody holds this worldview that gender identity is separate from biological sex and students should choose their gender. In fact, I would argue that most people don't hold that worldview. And now we are seeing the consequences of that through detransitioners coming out and saying, I was harmed by this ideology. I was only affirmed in this false identity. It did not fix my pain. And many of them had irreversible puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and even double mastectomies before the age of 16. So, so they, are, they are saying I was harmed by this. It is it is unbelievable, and I want to talk about that. I, I want to get back to your story, though, because I know there are moms out there. So you go to the school, you bring this information forward. You're expecting them to be horrified, too, because you've spent years volunteering in these schools. You know the people that work in your district. I think there are many, many parents like you, and that's why when we talk about public education, you know, a lot of us have sisters or brothers that teach, or we teach ourselves in the district, or, you know, schools for a lot of us as moms, you know, we spent a lot of time in there. So I totally get why, you know, you would think that they would have been like, oh, I can't believe this happened. This was a rogue situation. But that wasn't the case, was it? You go in and you meet with this superintendent and he says, she says, what, this is, this is our practice now? This is how we handle this situation? So we ended up filing a federal lawsuit against the school, against the school district. Um, a little bit over a year after the violation occurred. And the bottom line is, had the superintendent followed through on what he promised us, a lawsuit never would have been filed. And unfortunately, in this past December, so the, the district argued that, yes, everything happened, as the little John said. None of the facts of the case were disputed. None of them. But they argued that it didn't meet the threshold for holding a school district accountable. So in other words, yes, we did this. Yes, everything happened that she said happened. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. And the judge agreed. So this past December, our lawsuit was dismissed. And Honestly, it was like experiencing the violation and the trauma all over again. Because I think sometimes, you know, other lawsuits have now popped up around the country over this issue. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the families standing behind these lawsuits, the people being impacted. This has had devastating effects on our family, emotionally, financially. Walking your child through this level of confusion is a walking nightmare of hell. I don't wish on my worst enemy. When the school is telling your child that home is not safe, that school is safe, that's why I don't like the safe, safe space stickers. I think it's ridiculous. So if you're a teacher and you have a safe space sticker on your door, but Mr. Johnson down the, down the hall doesn't, does that mean his classroom isn't a safe place, Right. And so this idea of home not being safe, the school being safe, what an undermining of the trust that parents put into schools. Uh, it is very difficult to raise a teenager. I know moms who are listening to this are nodding their heads. It's not always easy, especially at that preteen age, right? And te early teen age where they're pushing back. I heard once uh, the analogy made that uh, teenagers are, they likened um, raising teenagers to uh, getting on a, a roller coaster and when the bar comes down, you instinctively push against the bar and you, you push against the bar, not because you hope it's going to fail, but you want to know this is going to protect me. This is going to keep me safe. And oftentimes we see that with our kids, right? They're testing the limits of what they think they should do or want to do. And, and our job is to be able to, you know, set some expectations and some guidelines and children really respond to that, right. you know, type of parenting where boundaries are created for them. It's so important for us to do that. And so one of the things you've talked about, and I want to get to, um, I, I want to talk about Chloe Cole. You and I were at an event. We recently got to hear her speak in person. But uh, before we end, parents, just know that we're going to talk about how you need to parent this issue like any other issue that you parent in your home. 
Um, so we'll get to that at the end. Right now, though, January, I want to talk a little bit. You talked about detransitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, these are, are young people or, or older people, um, they could be, that have decided that uh, going down the path of trying to um, change their biological sex was a mistake uh, because it's impossible, uh, in right. my opinion. Um, and they have uh, decided to try to resume some type of, of, of life as their biological sex again. But as you stated, uh, many of these um, amazing human beings have been hurt and in sometimes in irreversible ways, as Abigail said, there is irreversible damage that happens. And so if you could just maybe tell us a little bit about some of the brave uh, young, I know we met Chloe Cole, who's a really brave young woman who's testified uh, in front of the Florida Board of Medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk maybe a little bit about that and explain why that Florida Board of Medicine uh, decision to change and to the standard of care for gender dysphoria was so incredibly important in America today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And before I get into the Board of Medicine, I I just want to say something quickly about our federal lawsuit. This is not the end. Yes. We are going to appeal. And the reason is, is because if this ruling stands, and there was another similar ruling out of Massachusetts, There are no parental rights in school because if you, if the school district can do a psychosocial medical intervention with a minor child, and that does not meet the threshold of being able to hold school districts accountable, parents need to be asking, number one, what does? Number two, what else can school districts then do with their minor children that also does not meet that threshold? So we will be appealing this case to the 11th Circuit, and we're are just praying and hoping that the, the 11th Circuit overturns the judge's dismissal. Thank but you as, for being so brave for you and your family. No, really, I just want to take a second. Your daughter, too. Thank you for being so brave and for standing up and fighting back because you're right. Parents are being gaslit. They're being told it isn't happening. Uh, secrets are being kept from parents. Children's lives are being hurt. Um, and if it isn't, if it, it wasn't for you and other brave parents who are standing up and fighting back, I know as you said it's hard. But we wouldn't be making progress in this area. And you're absolutely right. Parental rights are under attack right now in America, um, and we have to stand up and fight back. So I'm, we're very appreciative for you. Well, and, and I your appreciate and your family, January. What you're saying, but I mean, if if kids aren't worth protecting, what is? And, you know, I was at our Leon County delegation meeting last night, and I heard teachers say that they feel under attack. And I know that you and I have had conversations about this. We are very much pro-teachers. But this, what happened was, is this became an attack on parents. When something went very wrong in our public school systems, when all parents were presumed to be the enemy to their child, but just in this area. Right. When our children are being told, if you identify as LGBT or Q, your parents are no longer safe. That is what was happening. And so when you peel back the layers of all of this, and I think that that it, it really is a disservice and detransitioners have been very clear about this, when you are having the same policies as LGB with the T, that is a mistake. Those are very different things. Sexual orientation has nothing to do with gender dysphoria or gender identity. And most people do not share a worldview where gender ideology reigns. They do not fundamentally believe that children choose their gender. They believe that gender used to be synonymous with biological sex and that you can't change your sex. That is not what our children are being taught. And what what really upsets me is we continue to hear it's not being taught. Yet, yet, when we provide concrete examples like the GSA clubs, which it is absolutely being taught, I've received two examples of things happening here in Tallahassee and local high schools where gender identity assignments were being given. So this notion of continuing 
to dismiss it and say it's not happening and then gaslighting us when we're bringing concrete examples of it is happening, that is not ever going to solve this problem. And parents will continue to quietly pull their children out of the public school system instead of making a stand because it's hard. But instead of these school districts taking responsibility for why they're leaving, they're painting us as the enemies. And that is just not the case. And and if there are teachers out there who feel under attack because of what my family has gone through, I, I am sorry, that has not ever been our intention. But if you're aware of other teachers pushing this nonsense, that is making you look bad. Help us. Join us and let's get this gender ideology out of the school system because we're losing teachers too. And they're blaming everything except for the truth. Teachers want to teach. They don't want to push this nonsense on students. They know it's not good for them. And it's antithetical, especially to a lot of religious values, not just Christianity. It's antithetical to all types of religions. And so this is really a fundamental issue that the public school system is going to have to own and resolve. And that is really what it's going to take for me and a lot of people that I know to reestablish trust. Because the more they say this isn't happening, the less we trust what they're saying. So January, parents are the number one driver of student success. And you said earlier that um, if schools really wanted to be successful, they would be working with parents more, right? That that schools, if they really cared about the, the child, would be inviting the parent in and making them a part of every major decision in their lives. And and parents, as I said, are the most important driver of student success. So that's the question. Parents being pushed out of schools every which way now during COVID and now with this it does make you question, does the school really want the child to be successful? What is the school really trying to accomplish with our children? Because we're being cut out of their lives. And as you said, we love them more than anyone. You know, I I don't have an answer to that. I really don't. And I'm just coming at this as a mom who saw it as my number one job to protect my child. And the school took that away from me. And now instead of taking responsibility for that, they're gaslighting parents who are standing up and saying, this isn't right. Parents should be involved in every critical decision occurring with their children at school. We tried to do the right thing. We stood up, we filed a lawsuit, and even that has been dismissed. And so I really think that, and I really hope school districts will start to listen to all parents and stop hiding behind this nonsense of safety and anti-bullying. We can teach children how to be kind to every single student without pushing a particular worldview or political view. That does not need to happen for children to be kind to one another. That, That is the narrative that is being pushed time and again, that is somehow we have to teach children about all of these identities in order for them to be kind. That That is not true. And that goes against what's best for the kids. And so if I could talk a little bit about the Board of Education, excuse me, the Board of Medicine, you had brought that up. And the U.S. has become an outlier on how we treat this issue. You had also talked about many of these kids not having true gender dysphoria. That is 100% true. So you have a very small percentage of kids that really do have this diagnosed mental health issue. You have what we're seeing now, which some have have called rapid onset gender dysphoria, but but and and oftentimes, Tiffany, it's really just girls trying to fit in in the friend group. The other thing that we have seen is that normal reactions to puberty has been pathologized. And so girls who often feel uncomfortable in their developing bodies. I was one of them. I don't know what, you know, one girl that didn't at some point during puberty that didn't feel uncomfortable with their developing body or or feel out of sorts in some way. But instead of these girls being championed and told, you know what, that's normal. I got through it. You're going to get through it. I know things feel weird right now, but it's just a phase and and you're going to grow into your body and it's all going to be okay. It gets better. It gets better. better. 
Yeah. It's better. Yep. Well, they're not being given that message. They're being told if you feel uncomfortable in your body, it's because you're probably trans. And it's a so lie. You, they're being sold it a is, lie. It is a lie. And it's, and it's a lie that's really costing lives and it's causing great harm in these girls. And, and what is more anti-biology an anti-human body than telling children that they are born in the wrong body and they must change their bodies in order to fully accept themselves. That, that and is, now you have the government pushing it and, and now you have the government pushing it. You know, you, right. there are, yes. and, and, and the so, American, yeah. the, the Biden administration, the health and human services, the CDC, um, so it, Tiffany, the CDC. We, this, this is all coming from top down. So when teachers are feeling attacked, my question in them, are you, are you paying union dues? Are right. you paying dues to the NEA? Are you, are you, if you're a school board member, are you a part of the Florida School Board Association? Are you a school counselor paying dues to the School Counselor Association? All of these professional associations, if you go to their websites, they are all pushing this affirmation-only intervention medical transitioning model on children. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. has become an outlier in terms of how we're treating this issue. The UK, Finland, Sweden, they have all done a proper risk analysis, which is what Florida did back in July. And Florida came out with a huge report that is evidence-based that actually looked at the research and the literature being used to back up these interventions. And they found that the risk far outweighed the benefits. Not only because we're seeing the transitioners coming forward saying I was greatly harmed by this, but also because the level of evidence being used to justify experimenting on children's bodies is so unbelievably low quality that it is, it is shocking that this has been going on for this long without there being accountability. And it is way past time that the medical field allowed this debate to happen because what was happening is organizations and pediatricians and other doctors and endocrinologists that were bringing forward differing views, differing opinions were being silenced. They were being gaslit. And we saw activism infiltrate our medical schools, our professional, professional associations, even my own mental health associations have been infiltrated. And what's really the saddest thing about this, Tiffany, is that if parents were given the truth, and the truth is, with true gender dysphoria, if those children are not socially or medically transitioned, the majority of them, and I'm talking 80 to 90% of these children, would resolve their confusion and distress by adulthood. If parents are given that truth, How in the world and why would they then choose a path to sterilization and destroying that child's future sexual functioning? If you look up the consequences and the medical um, side effects of what puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones do to the human body, we are talking horrific, horrific side effects. It lowers the life expectancy. It increases risk of certain cancers and cardiovascular disease. It sterilizes these children. And in some cases, it takes away all future sexual functioning, the ability to have any kind of sexual drive. Children do not have the ability to consent to that. They don't even understand what that means. And so we're, you know, there's a lot of different arms to this monster of gender ideology. You know, you've got the sports issue, which I think that's a low-hanging fruit that people are now kind of brave enough to point out and speak out against. You've got the overtaking of women's spaces, single-sex spaces that are now no longer only for women. And then you've got what's happening to children. And that's where I feel my calling has been is to protect these children because many of them are incredibly vulnerable They have other mental health issues, previous trauma. Up to 40% of these children, Tiffany, are on the autism spectrum. That is not spoken about enough. We do not talk about that. It is not. And there was, I was at the Florida Board of Medicine because my daughter has desisted. 
and and I am and I'm so grateful. But she is now still left with not only what the school has done to our family and to her, um, but also the the issues that made her vulnerable to begin with. Okay, these are this is happening to vulnerable kids. This isn't happening to kids who have a, who have a really strong sense of who they are. Um, the captain of the cheerleader squad. It's not happening to those kids. It's happening to the kids that already had struggles fitting in, feeling like a misfit. Many are on the autism spectrum. Many are like my daughter has have ADHD and giftedness. But most sensitive, point, most vulnerable children. That's right. Uh, artistic anime, artistic, yep. the theater kids, all you know, all of the kind of. The kids that typically didn't fit in but grow up to be incredible, amazing adults that think outside of the box. And instead of celebrating that about those kids or even celebrating our tomboys, we're telling them that they're born in the wrong body and that they need to alter their bodies in order to become their true selves. You know, it's also encouraging a level of disassociation from children's bodies, which is why they start to see their bodies as parts. But at the Florida Board of Medicine hearings that they held back in October, I went and testified because I wanted them to know, and my story is by far not the only one. There have been parents that have been able to walk their child through this confusion and get them on the other side of it so that they can wholly accept their bodies and live a healthy, normal life without being a medical patient for life. Well, there was this couple there that still, it haunts me. They looked like normal parents, like, you know, just normal everyday parents. And when all the detransitioners came up and I testified and other parents testified of of how ultimately this almost destroyed their family and their child, the mom said, I'm not hearing any of this in the groups that I'm going. None of the doctors are saying this at all. That's right, because she's not being given the truth, Tiffany. Yeah. Her child, who was only, I think, 11, is on puberty blockers. How can she sit there and hear all of the harm? I mean, she must have been experiencing some true cognitive dissonance. Because to, to admit, oh, my gosh, what am I doing to my child where my child may have desisted my child did I make the right choice for my child I don't know how parents could make that choice if they're given all the facts well and that's the thing that I think has been interesting I agree with you I don't think that they've been given the truth certainly about the puberty blockers people have they've been told that they're reversible but as you know we'll talk about Chloe now in a second Chloe has shared um their you know bone density issues um Mm -hmm. lots of different things that happen with the puberty blockers so if by some miracle, your child is still able to have sexual function if, if they come off the period blockers, if they are able to still be able to procreate. I'd like to, again, meet the 12-year-old girl who knows whether or not she wants to have a baby at some point or breastfeed in her life. Um, I certainly wasn't thinking about that at 12, right? Right. Um, but if the, 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 they deserve the truth, children deserve the truth, parents deserve the truth, and that's been the most frustrating part because I think a lot of these parents haven't been given the truth. I also think I, Tina and I went on Dr. Phil and we discussed this issue with a, a gentleman and his wife who uh, transitioned their child starting in, in pre-K or kindergarten. I also think there's probably a, a certain level once you've gone all in in this manner, it must be very difficult to recognize that your child um, is, is that, that something has happened here that you've been a part of that you can't take back. Uh, that has to be very, very right. hard. Well, yes. And that, you know, I think the couple that you were up against on the Dr. Phil show, because I did see that episode, I, I, I pray and hope that they are an outlier when it comes to the parents. But I think the majority of the parents, um, and Chloe has been open about this. Yeah. They weren't given the whole truth. No, they weren't. They were not given the whole truth. And had they been given the whole truth? Because I think according to what she has said publicly, they did have reservations. And I think had they been given the whole truth, they may have chosen a different path for their child, a non-medical path, and chosen psychotherapy like the other countries are now recommending 
as the first line of defense. You know, it is tragic what we are seeing. And what's happened with Chloe's parents, and I think what continues to happen, is suicide has been weaponized against these parents. And they are told time and again, sometimes in front of the child even, if you don't transition your child, your child will commit suicide. Not may, not it's a risk factor, um, because we do know that these kids are more at risk of suicide. But does it mean, how do we not know that the suicidal ideation and the risk comes from the other co-occurring issues? How do we know, how do we not know that the suicidal ideation is caused by the social transition? Because some of the best research that we have out of Sweden, who is a very social liberal country, very accepting of their LGBTQ population, they found that post-transition, so these were adults that transition, that that population is 20 times that of the normal population to complete suicide. This is not suicide ideation. This is not simply thinking about This is completed suicide. That is an extraordinarily high statistic. You do not often see that high of statistic when you look at research. And so this notion of this affirmation only that America is on, this fast track to medicalization, when you look at this issue with any level of scrutiny, it falls apart very rapidly. And the whole idea of gender ideology itself is built on quicksand because you cannot claim that gender identity is innate, but then also claim um, that it's fluid, that it changes over time. And that one person can identify as male and non-binary one day and then a female another. Okay, if it's fluid, then why are we making irreversible changes to children right. and young adults' bodies if, it's, if it could possibly change? None of this makes any sense. And the way that they have gotten away with it for so long is by canceling, shaming, and silencing. Yes. But there's too many of us now. There's yes. too many people standing in this gap willing to take the hit to protect children, to protect biological truth, to keep their children tethered to reality. And so for any parents who are experiencing this nightmare or know a friend who has a child in this, what I will say to them is something you've already said, is you have to parent this. You have to parent this and set healthy boundaries like anybody else would treat their child because they don't understand what they're asking for. So if your child was coming to you and saying that she um, wanted a tattoo or another kind of irreversible, you know, surgical procedure, we would have no problem saying no. Like we don't take half of what our children and teenagers say at face value because we know their thoughts and feelings change often and rapidly. So why are we doing that with this? It does not make any sense. On any level, when you understand cognitive development with children and teens. The other thing I will say is people with young children, inoculate your children. Teach them the truth. I never knew I had to teach my children there were only two sexes. I'm telling you, you have to. Because they are going to hear these lies either from our own government, at school, on social media, even in Disney programming now, we are seeing this level of indoctrination infiltrating every aspect of our society. You have to inoculate your children so that when they hear the lies, they will know them and call them for what they are. So January, thank you so much for joining us today. And I think it's so important, again, moms and dads that are experiencing this speak out because there is no safe place. There is no place that you can live or amount of money that you can have or perfect school you can send your child to um, where you should not fear that this can somehow enter their life because with the phone in their hand and you not with them every second of every day, they are going to come into contact with this idea of gender ideology. And as you said, it's important for us to get ahead of it and have those conversations with our kids 
Um, so thank you for coming on. January, if people want to learn more about this issue or hear more from you or Chloe, can you give us just a couple resources that they can sure. go to that might be able to help them? Absolutely. So Jen's Fact is a great organization. It's a newer organization that is championing parents and being a parent of voice. They have resource for parents, detransitioners. Um, for any Christians out there looking for Christian resources, the Person in Identity Project with Mary Hassan is an excellent resource. They have a, a school toolkit for both schools and parents. Um, and Do No Harm. This is a, a newer organization that was created just recently as April of 2022. And I have heard that they are starting to get into this area of medicine to try to expose what's going on. Wonderful. So thank you for sharing that. And I'll just say in a closing note to everyone that's listening that the detransitioners who are coming forward and speaking out are incredibly brave. And the sad and cruel reality of their situation is, is that when they enter into this community of transgenderism, their love bomb, this idea of them being transgender becomes something that they latch onto. And there's a whole community that they get to be a part of when they choose to do that. And, um, you know, for kids who are searching for relevancy and a connection in their lives, it, that's important to them. When they choose to not continue down the path um, with, you know, attempting to change their gender, they are often ostracized. And I know Chloe has gone through some horrible attacks from people trying to say nasty things about her because they don't like the fact that she's speaking out and, and speaking truth. So to every mom and dad or person listening, um, take a minute to, you know, see who these brave young men and women are that are speaking out and just give them some love and support. That's Send right. them a note on social media, right? Because we That's need to right. lift them up and, and tell them how much we appreciate them speaking truth and bringing light to this issue. 